Yeah, libraries are magical. They really no, are. They are. And they're they're truly wonderful. Hey folks, welcome to Lights Out Mass, a podcast about government transparency in Massachusetts or the lack thereof. I'm Andrew Clomer here with my co-host Jeff Raymond. My character in Baldur's Gate is always over encumbered because he's carrying every book that he collects in every area. I do Je- this in every game that I play. Jeff, you gotta stop taunting <laughs> me with the Baldur's Gate stuff. It's a bit I did gonna- it in Skyrim too. Some people like wheels of cheese. Not only am I jealous, but the bit's gonna get old soon, you know. I know. So I've gotta know. come up with something new. <laughs> Uh, But anyway, we are recording on Monday, October 2nd, 2023. Happy Banned Books Weeks to all who celebrate. Yeah, and so Jeff deliberately picked Banned Books Week to do an episode about banned books. It's not just a coincidence, right, Jeff? It was absolutely planned. Yes, we definitely planned this months in advance. Yes, Uh, we are doing an episode about sort of uh, book bans and book challenges you know, with libraries and public schools, maybe you've heard a little bit about that. It's kind of been a bigger issue recently than it normally is. And Jeff, I think you're going to kind of give us a little bit of an intro on that. You've got a project going. This is a issue that's very near and dear to me. I was a former children's librarian myself. I was a librarian. I was a library trustee, I should say, in my hometown for a number of years. I currently Um, help run the Friends of the Library in Nobury. So this is just like a thing for me. And beyond that, it's a freedom of information thing. And if this podcast is about anything, it's about freedom of information. And people who try to ban books are trying to keep information from people who could otherwise use it. With this latest spate of book banning across the country, um, Massachusetts isn't getting hit the way, say, Texas or Florida is. But you know, we're still seeing a lot of book bans. We had um, some people try to steal some books from the library in Millbury. I'll talk about that later on. But you hear this across the state of different libraries. Um, unfortunately, all the information is a little inconsistent. Um, most of it is self-reporting. Um, they either do it through their state aid um, reporting tool or some of the statewide organizations are kind of collecting it in an ad hoc nature. So I got frustrated with the reporting on it. And when I get frustrated, I start making public records requests. (laughs) And um, I'll get more into it later, but I've already issued around 450 records requests to the schools and libraries of the state to find out exactly how the book bans are going. That's what we all do when we get frustrated with something. We just go out and file like 400, 500 public records requests. It's just absolutely just how all people are wired, Jeff. It's not something weird about you. So. Yeah, I mean, as you were saying, this is a freedom of information issue, which is, you know, why it's, it's not sort of the normal thing we talk about, but it's relevant to this podcast, because as you said, Jeff, books are information, you know, and I think there is some people who sort of downplay this and say, well, something I think is inappropriate, it shouldn't be in the library. And that's not really a big deal, because if you want it, just go buy the book yourself. But that's really not a very reasonable response because not everybody has infinite money and can just go out and buy every book they want. Uh, and, you know, it, it's also just, it's like the principle of the thing. Libraries exist for information, for entertainment, and we shouldn't let someone just dictate what 
the content of that is, you know, we have librarians who are thoughtful people who spend, you know, years actually training to be librarians and they, they put a lot of thought into these collections and they're, you know, not like nefarious people as some of these people are trying to present them as they're trying to, you know, do the most popular books. They're trying to also have, you know, books that maybe aren't as popular, but that, you know, they deserve an audience because of the the importance of their content. And I, I just, I'm not going to second guess librarians. Like I go to libraries all the time and I got to tell you, they are amazing. Librarians are amazing. Libraries are amazing. You know, I've been doing a lot of research lately on some decades old stuff. This is like my big secret project that I'm not going to get into the details of it. But what I'll say is I've been been looking at microfilm. Remember that, you know, anybody look at microfilm when they were in college or something and just what, you know, I got to say, what an invaluable service to these librarians who create these archives that people use. You know, I, I found in one library, Jeff, you're not going to believe this, a card index of the newspaper articles of, that are on microfilm. So, you know, the just amazing that some librarian was looking through the paper every day, typing up the headlines, you know, organizing them by subject so that some guy, you know, 30, 40 years later who shows up to the library to do research doesn't have to just stumble around blind, you know, looking at every single paper in the microfilm archive. I can actually look at these cards and try to like pinpoint some dates and stuff. Did you sneeze when you open the thing and the dust came pouring out like yeah. in a cartoon? <laughs> yeah, the reference librarian that uh, showed me this room where this catalog was located didn't even know it was there. Like, <laughs> and it was yeah. like, oh, look at that. And he was like, whoa, I, I haven't seen that before. But yeah. libraries are magical. They really no, are. They are. And they're They're truly wonderful. And it's worth noting, too, for all the wailing and gnashing of teeth about police budgets and everything else libraries are never funded to the level of which they provide a value in service to the cities and towns they're in yeah um they are always the first ones on the chopping block they're always seen as the nice to have options and it's absolutely tragic because especially in cities especially in places with you know more disadvantaged populations that is the place they go to do their life you know, we're able to talk on a podcast over the internet once a week. You know, some people like they can go to the library for half hour a day and that's the time they get, you know, and what what a libraries get, they get um, a bit of state aid and they're usually the first people to not get their full budget request in your towns and cities. And they still somehow make it happen. It just, it really speaks to the people who run these libraries, who work in them, just th how amazing they are that they can provide just such an incredible, important service, benefits so many people on such a tiny budget. Yeah, and we saw, especially in the last 15 years or so, it used to be that every school would have a librarian. And in the last 15, 20 years, probably when we had the slight dip in the economy and the turn of the 99 2000 year but especially after the 2008 crash a lot of those positions were just eliminated and not refilled and the places that did refill them came up with a brand new position called a media specialist 
So now they don't have to pay for the person with the master's degree to run the inside of a library to save a little extra money. Not to say that these media specialists aren't doing a bang up job with the limited resources and limited time and limited energy they're getting, but the continued <laughs> thought of library work being less than when, if anything, they make it so all the other work can be more than is, you know, continues to blow my mind, especially, you know, as somebody like me who is a fiscal conservative and doesn't want to spend money on anything. <laughs> so. So, Jeff, we're talking about books. Uh, you got any favorite books you want to mention real quick? Um, I am patiently uh, waiting for the third book in the name of the Wind series. I don't think it's ever going to come. I've been reading a lot of horror as of late, and I am really uh, shout out to Paul Tremblay's books. He's a Boston area native. He just had a, um, the cabin at the end of the world is the book that they just made a movie out of starring Dave Bautista and the guy who played Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter movies. That was really awesome. So I would say, yeah, shout out to Paul Tremblay. Yeah, I'm a big comic book guy. And uh, it, amazing how many comic books they have in libraries nowadays. That's one of the, the main things I use libraries for, to be honest, is uh, not microfilm. Although, I, you know, I spent quite a few hours looking at it. I, you know, spent probably more reading comic books I got out of the library. And I remember like, when I discovered, when I was in high school, I discovered they have comic books in the library. I, I think I probably, I didn't have a very big comic book collection, but mine was probably bigger than the libraries. And now it's like, there's like walls of comics in my local library. And it's like, just incredible, you know, that libraries recognize that these things are valuable and uh, that they are, you know, their art, their literature, that people, you know, they're not, they're not just, you know, some like thing that you, you a kid reads and then throws away, you know, they're actually literature that, uh, you know, really deserve a place on a library shelf. But, you know, we're talking about favorite books. I, I will pick something a little more highbrow really quick. I, it's actually, I didn't, I, it's been a long time since I read this book. I think I've only read it once and it was back when I was in college. It was not for a class or anything. I think I actually might've got it in one of those library sales where they give you a bag and you just like fill the bag and that's how many books you get to take home. But Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, classic book. This is a book about probably the greatest Bostonian who ever lived, maybe one of the greatest Americans who ever lived, Frederick Douglass, who... A lot of people are talking about him. Yeah, they say a he, lot of people are talking Donald about Trump him. says he's still alive. <laughs> Getting right? famous. <laughs> so Frederick Douglass, hopefully you are familiar, but if you're not, he was born into slavery in the South and he escaped and became probably one of the most well-known, at least today, well-known abolitionists. He wrote prodigiously. He spoke prodigiously. Yes, Brilliant guy. You know, shout out to my hometown. Um, I will give a cheap plug. The Millbury Historical Society is having a Frederick Douglass impersonator um, interpreter coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, so come on down to the Asa Waters Mansion, 6 p.m. Well, I just want to say that this, this book is uh, very apropos for this discussion because so Frederick Douglass was born into slavery and it is illegal in, I think, most states, if not all states with slavery to teach a slave to learn to read and write. But he talks in this book, he had a, a mistress who she started teaching him 
you know, like the alphabet and some like simple three or four letter words. And then his his master, the person who, you know, ostensibly owns him, catches her doing this. And he's like, you know, if you teach a slave to learn to read and write, it's going to make him unfit to be a slave. And so, you know, little Frederick Douglass is like, oh, well, if that's the case, I better learn to read and write because, you know, I don't want to be a slave. And it just, it's a great book. He, you know, he, he goes on to talk about teaching other slaves to read and write in secret and uh, before he, he finally escapes. And it, it's just a great, it's a, it's a short book. Like it's I, my copy right here is like 120 pages. It's, it's a short book, but it's a great story just about both the value of freedom and the value of literacy and knowledge and how all that stuff is related. And it's, it's a, it's also, it's a true story about, you know, part of our country's history that people should be aware of. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a perfect book. If you want to read a, a quick, not, I wouldn't say easy because, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's some nasty stuff that goes on in that book, but it's a quick read and it's a great book and it would be a good book to pick up for Band Books Week and, you know, read through. And it's a very readable book too. It yes. doesn't, it doesn't feel, I mean, it's old, but it doesn't feel old and stuffy like you might expect. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of written in that style that people wrote in, at the time, but it's also, it's not like written. It's not impenetrable. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's not one of those, those like books from the 1800s yeah. where you're like, whoa, are they speaking the same language? You, to your point about, you know, make, you know, to poorly fat paraphrase Mr. Douglas, you know, that being able to read and write makes you unqualified or unable to be a slave. It kind of really brings home in a very raw way how much these sorts of efforts end up being ways to control information and ways to keep people from understanding the world around them. And, you know, you can root these messages back to the Comstock Act in the 1800s, where they couldn't have said anything. It was kind of like the early obscenity, we'll know it when we see it type thing, where you could just ban the transport of stuff if it was deemed inappropriate. But what I found interesting is that there is a simple case about school libraries, shorthanded island trees, um, which was the island tree school district. And the takeaway quote from that one that really got to me, Local school boards may not remove books from school libraries simply because they dislike the ideas contained in those books. That is as clear and concise a statement as possible. And yet, what have we seen in the last two or three years? We're seeing a lot of attempts to take what they call diverse books about, you know, the Black experience, about, you know, critical race theory, which is whatever they decide to define it as in a given week, anything that has to do with LGBTQ audiences, all sorts of stuff. All of it is simply because they dislike the ideas that are contained in those books. And in a lot of cases, they're getting away with it. And it's and it's a shame. It's a it's a real shame. You know, there's been a lot of um been a lot of question as to like how this is getting organized. So I want to kind of give a little bit of background on it. For one, there's a group that's somewhat national called Moms for Liberty. You've probably heard of them if you're listening to the po this podcast, but essentially they have developed a lot of resources to help parents who are kind of upset with the trends 
in schools and libraries right now. Let's call it aggrieved. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word for it, to put that forward. And even though, like, they are behind a lot of it, they're not behind all of it, but their playbook is what a lot of people are using. And you find very quickly, I've forgotten about uh, 60 to 70 of the responses back in my public records request so far, and you're seeing the same notes being hit all the time. We have to protect our children. It's not okay for child of x age to be exposed to this sort of thing it's pornography and you're grooming the children that one is the killer that's really been the one that's levied across the way milbury had four books stolen from its library and i had started a sort of campaign to get them back in that library along with every other library in the state it was wildly successful (laughs) um i if i can toot my own horn on it but it also came with it you know i got turtle boy on my ass that was a lot of fun i was fielding death threats for months that was a good time you couldn't go through my twitter mentions without somebody calling me a groomer or a pedophile somebody actually yelled pedophile at my house a few weeks ago a few months ago that was fun (laughs) yeah for people who you know bless your heart if you're not familiar turtle boy is this i'm not even gonna say his real name he's just this loser he's a blogger Loser. I think he's from Worcester who writes this blog where they just, it's basically he harasses people for money, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's a broadside. He's a broadside con artist. And that's don't even look up his website. He's a loser. Just look up the statue that he's named after and get a nice chuckle out of the statue, (laughs) but you know, leave him be. But you know, this is where actually I think Andrew and I first intersected. was this grooming slash pornography thing. Yeah, can we just take a second to acknowledge how disgusting it is to accuse, like, teachers, sex ed teachers, uh, librarians of, like, literally, like, pedophilia. Like, it's just vile. Absolutely vile. Worst crime you can possibly commit. The one that most prisoners go, hey, that guy's a little off. The serial killer's like, at least I didn't do that. (laughs) Yeah, I, again, just just absolutely vile to be accusing people of this sort of thing. Just like, what is wrong with, with these people to be throwing around accusations like that? And I mean, it's been levied at me, too, because of like writing about this sort of stuff about, you know, uh, people mad about library books, like just on Twitter, you know, people are like, OK, groomer. It's like to to throw around that so casually is just I don't even know what to say. Just what is wrong with you? Like, just just don't. Maybe don't do that. For all the things that Donald Trump introduced into our political lexicon, not to not to diminish all the really ridiculous things he did, the complete abandonment of anything that resembles civility in the public discourse is probably one of like the defining features of his era. <laughs> and it's way too bad because you combine Donald Trump not caring in the world what anybody thinks of him and saying all sorts of vile things and then all of us getting locked away in our house for a year and a half during COVID and going feral and (laughs) you know it just it's the perfect storm of nonsense and you know when it gets to the point where people who see a book on a bookshelf that they don't like assume it's pornography because it has a sex scene in it in the same building that they were reading Fifty Shades of Grey in five years ago. 
it's insane. Yeah, and it's not just because they have sexual content for the most part. It's because right. they have LGBT, LGBTQ, there I can say it, content in it. It's, you know, like, it's funny because like my library has, you know, on DVD, Blu-ray, they've got Game of Thrones, which it's like, there's like people having sex with prostitutes like every five minutes in that show. And you don't hear anybody complaining about it because that was like a popular show, you know, that, you know, straight, normal people enjoy. But then- Game of have... Thrones literally introduced the term um, sex position into yeah. the popular <laughs> lexicon. Yeah, and I mean, not just Game of Thrones, plenty of, plenty of other stuff that nobody ever raises an eyebrow about. I mean, they have a romance section in every library, which like the romance section, like not that I am, you know, a romance guy, but- it's literally just these books that, you know, the whole point of it is to like get to the part where they have sex. And, you know, like, it's like, this is just like, sex is part of literature because sex is part of the human experience. And, you know, but it, nobody's questioning that, but suddenly when it involves somebody who's like gay or bisexual or transgender or non-binary, whatever, if it's not, you know, some straight couple, it's, you know, this is grooming this is you know these people must be pedophiles like what it doesn't make it's it's cl just a clear clear case of people who are trying to cover their bigotry up by pretending you know think of the children it's all it's all a show you know they're putting on a show trying to rile people up and use you know pedophilia as we said probably the most despicable crime to is, is cover for their bigotry and you know it's it's just it's gross that people would do that and you know the the sort of one one of the it's been called them by the american library association i think for the past few years the most challenged book it's called gender queer a memoir by maya kobabe and this i think is actually how jeff and i at the very initially came into contact with one another because this book, it's a it's a comic book memoir by a non-binary person. And it's sort of just like a coming of age story. It's about this person's experience, how they came to identify as non-binary and sort of some of the experiences that might be kind of unique to that story. And I, I saw an interview with the author who said basically that this book is really valuable because there aren't that many books by people who've actually been through this kind of experience. And for someone who's, you know, young, who's questioning their gender identity or sexuality to be able to look at someone else's experience and sort of say, okay, this isn't abnormal. This is, you know, just part of the human experience. And there are other people like that it's really helpful to people or it can be helpful to people who you have uh, a sibling or a, a parent or a son or a daughter who are going through this experience. And you can say, okay, well, I could kind of empathize with this more because I've seen this experience with someone else and I, I see what they're going through. And this, this book has been challenged because ostensibly because there's, you know, inappropriate content in it and there is some sexual content sort of the most famous, infamous, whatever you want to call it scene involves the the author wearing a strap on dildo while 
I believe it's their girlfriend is performing like simulated oral sex on the dildo. And this scene, you know, has caused all these conservatives to be like, oh my God, you know, it's inappropriate. I guess let me let me jump back and say that. So the reason I actually read this book is not because I'm, you know, checking out memoirs by LGBTQ people. Although it is a brilliant book. It, it is, is a good book. It's a devastatingly beautiful book. You should read it anyway. Yes, you so. should read it. But the, but the reason I actually first heard about it and the reason I actually, you know, didn't just file it away somewhere in the back of my brain and I actually went out, you know, got a copy from the library and read it was because last year the Republicans, their candidate for secretary of the Commonwealth, was a woman named Rayla Campbell. And the reason I was following this is because the Secretary of the Commonwealth, you know, a completely unrelated reason, the Secretary of the Commonwealth is responsible for the public records appeals that Jeff and I love to complain about all the time. And so I was, you know, following the election and I was mainly, originally anyway, I was mainly interested in the primary because that's, you know, in blue Massachusetts, that's where the action is, you know. But I found out that the person running for Republican, the Republican spot was this woman, Rayla Campbell. And I just kind of started looking into her and found out that she was kind of this like far right provocateur who already had a bit of a reputation from a previous election when she ran for the the federal uh, House of Representatives, where let's not get into that. But she, <laughs> she, so she sort of made it's really silly that she made this basically the centerpiece of her campaign as Secretary of the Commonwealth was like complaining about sex ed, complaining about supposedly inappropriate library books, which basically gender queer was ninety nine percent of what she talked about. And it, it's really silly because the Secretary of the Commonwealth has nothing to do with library books. I think she, she actually, this is like confirmed, she's basically was confused. So the Secretary of the Commonwealth is on the board of trustees for the state library. And I was actually, I was at the state house today and I popped into the state library. You can, you can go check it as out. As one does. Yes, of course, <laughs> as one does. And like, literally this is, they've got like, you know, the journal of the, the Massachusetts House of Representatives, you know, it's like copies of all the old bills that were submitted. They've got, you know, copies of, uh, of like legislative history. It, it's all, it's all stuff like that. It's like state documents that they keep archived for nerds like me to go check out if we're doing research has absolutely nothing to do with what is in your local library. It's like literally a hundred percent unrelated. These state uh, library uh, board is not your local library's board. Just for the clarity, um, because the structure of it seems really weird, these the the trustees that Andrew is talking about are really agents of the government. They are kind of like the record keepers of government stuff. The your local library gets their funding and gets their support through the um, Massachusetts Board of Library something. It's the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners. They are a separate entity that the Secretary of State does not get involved with at all. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, but, but I found Which is out, the important part, that she was running for an office that didn't exist. Yeah, but I found <laughs> out from, I found out from Facebook comments that she actually seemed to think that the, the um, state library 
like had some control over that's hilarious i didn't know know that do you imagine running for an office and like you are like literally confused about what the purpose of the office is imagine if she won and she walks (laughs) into the secretary of state's office like all right let's get these books banned yeah and her staff is just like what (laughs) We, we can't do that that's not a thing but yeah so anyway she she would complain about this book gender queer all the time at one point, she actually showed up at the Hallbrook Public Library. They had a, a Pride Month event outside where they had what's known as Drag Queen Story Hour. So Drag Queen Story Hour is when a drag queen, which is just a guy, for the record, it's literally just a guy with some women's clothing, maybe a wig, some makeup, who is trying to look feminine. And, you know, there's nothing inherently sexual about it. But they've created this thing called Drag Queen Story Hour, where drag queens will go to libraries or wherever, bookstores. They will read children's books to children. And yes, they are children's books. They're not pornography like Rayla Campbell or other people are claiming. And, and I know what books were read at this Drag Queen Story Hour. They were literally just children's books. I, ha- I you know, their names of them are in the story I wrote. And so... Rayla Campbell showed up with some other, you know, far right provocateur people and she's screaming, you know, our taxpayer dollars going to this. She's screaming, has this person been Corey checked? Like, you know, because she's trying to insinuate that this person is a pedophile. And the organizers of this place had to call the police who had to basically tell her, look, you're causing a disturbance that nothing illegal is happening. You need to, like, leave. And, you know, eventually she left. But just this is while she's campaigning to be the secretary of the commonwealth who i just wanted people to know if the governor and the lieutenant governor you know if they're they're in a bad car crash or plane crash together secretary of the commonwealth is your new governor i mean you know bill galvin our uh 30 year or so secretary of the commonwealth he has been acting governor quite a few times so this is the office that she was running for while she was outside library screaming and disrupting events for literally events for children. And so the other, uh, I, I wrote a few stories about her, but my favorite one is it, it involves the book gender queer that we were talking about. She, it, it, so many pieces of irony to this that I can't even get into all of them, but she's at a back the blue event, right? Back the blue there to support the cops. Intersectionality, and, man. Yes. <laughs> and there are counter protesters who are there to protest the far right people who tend to show up to these back the blue things. I think they knew that she was going to be there. And so she's showing this book, Gender Queer, off to these people, you know, most of whom I don't think have ever seen the book and they don't have any context for this. And she's showing them that that picture I was talking about with the, the dildo. And she's saying that, you know, this is obscene, this is pornographic, this is in libraries. And so I, I talked to this this woman, she didn't want her, her name used. It's, I called her Anna in the story. And her husband, who I also, I didn't use his name, he's called Benjamin in the story. Benjamin says to his fiance, Anna, she's called that book child pornography before we should go like report her to the police so anna goes to the police and is like she's showing this book off i think it has like kids performing oral sex which i just want to remind people it does not they're consenting adults and it's not i, I mean i guess you 
how you define sex is up to you, but it's not an actual. It's Bill Clinton-esque sex. It's, it's not actual genitalia. There, there's no like actual. Technically, there's no actual nudity in these drawings. But in any case, she goes up to the this cop and is like, she's showing this off. She's saying it's obscene. She's saying it's pornographic. And so the cop goes, talks to her, and there was like video of it. The cop, I, I think she must have put the book away because they go to her car or what I assume is her car. And, you know, she takes the book out and is showing it to this police officer and he's taking notes and he writes a report. And in his report, he's like, I open the book up and in like the first page, it says that the author is like 24 at the time the story is taking place. So it did not involve children. And also it was a drawing, so it's not child pornography. But I absolutely love this story. Like, I think it got posted in that Reddit, you know, Leopards Ate My Face. Yes. Uh, and where it got tons of upvotes. Brilliant irony. She's going around saying this is child pornography. She's at a rally to support the police. And suddenly she's got to explain to a police officer, oh, actually, this is not child pornography. Please don't arrest me while I'm running for office for possessing child pornography, which and, and I, I just I can't believe it. Like, OK, I, I, I want to know what is going on in her brain, because if you actually think it's child pornography, why do you have it? Like, why are you showing it to people? Because even if you're like, you think you're doing it for a good reason, maybe don't carry around and display child pornography in public because that's gross and illegal and like depraved. And why, you know, just why? Like what, I, I can't understand the thought. It's just like, what the hell is going on in her brain? I mean, is it that she doesn't believe what she's saying? Which I, I don't understand because, like, if you're trying to be a political opportunist in Massachusetts, that's not the route you go. Not attacking libraries and teachers and saying that they're all pedophiles and stuff. But, like, if you actually believe it, like, how do you, how do you, how do you make sense of that? Like, <laughs> so I think I can actually answer this, which is scary in itself. But, you know, for one, the conservatives in this state got very emboldened after Scott Brown won. That was a very... That was a watershed moment for the conservative movement, for whatever it means in the state of Massachusetts. It made them think that they were a lot more of them and a lot more popular than they actually were. And they thought that Scott Brown ran as a much more conservative person than he actually is. Um, there's a reason why he was replaced by Elizabeth Warren, um, <laughs> to put it mildly. But it's funny because the people who were responsible for stealing the books out of Millbury, I didn't realize it at the time, but I actually did a um, interview with them for my column when I was working, when I was freelancing for the Millbury Sutton Chronicle. And there are a lot of, what's the word? It's cognitive distortions. They have to make a lot of connections that aren't there and ignore a lot of stuff to get to the point that they're at. Their position is not is not coherent, but they don't know it. And they don't understand that it's not coherent. They just see, you know, in this case here of genderqueer, they see a blowjob on page 70 whatever and assume that it's pornography because, and they assume it's child pornography because it's a continue, considered a YA book, a young adult book, and it's a drawing. Now, it's not even a real penis. It's a strap on, <laughs> you know, it's with adults, but it's meant for teenagers, older teens, you know, almost adult teens in a sense. 
none of what they believe is actually true, but they believe it with their heart of hearts. And they know that they're just doing it for the kids because obviously when they were kids, comics were always for kids. That was not true then. It is not true now, but that's what they think. The comics they read were for kids. I'm 35 and my entire life comics have not been, comics have primarily in that entire span have primarily been for like older teens and adults. So you're 35. That means you were born in 86, 87? 88. 88. Watchmen came out in 86, right? Something like that. Yeah, I think so. And Dr. Manhattan's hanging dong for a lot of that. You know, it's like, that is... That is in your, you know, they don't shy away from it there. You yeah, know? I mean, 80s was like, you know, Frank Miller was, you know, one of the most popular comic book artists. And he's just all like, literally his his bag of tricks yeah. is like sex and violence, you know? Seriously. So, and, you know? And, you know, just to like touch on a few more of the points you're saying, Rayla Campbell was literally going around and saying that this book gender queer was in not not like a young adult section but the children's section she was specifically using that word children's yep. section of libraries and any i when i was reporting on her anytime she mentioned a specific library i would check that library and in almost every case not only was the book not in the children's section but the children's section was not even on the same floor as the section that had this book in it. And in fact, in one of her videos, she was in like the teen room of a library. She would post these Facebook live videos from libraries. She she posted this video where she's in the teen room. She's like, look, they've got this book here. And then she's like, oh, by the way, let's go check out the children's section on a different floor. And it's like, again, it's like, what's going on in her brain where you're saying this is like for children, but you're literally saying in your own video, I've got to go to a different floor to get to the children's section where they keep all the children's books. It just like, it boggles my mind. And I mean, I even, Jeff, you know, you're talking about filing like 400 public records requests. One of my, the crazy things I did was when I was writing about her, I literally went to all the library catalogs from Massachusetts and I went through genderqueer, like every entry. And I'm like, can I find a single children's section that has this book? I could not. I think the only one I found was like, there was a university library and I called them up and they're like, oh, well, we call it the children's section, but it's actually it's children and young adult books. And it's not for actual children. It's for like students, teachers, who are, teachers who are researching like yep. books for might be appropriate or for, for uh, students. And it's not, it's called the children's section, but it's not like literally a children's section in the normal sense of the word. It's it's young adult and children, you know, co-mingled. But I could not find a single children's section that had this book. But also you're talking about stealing library books. I'm not technically saying that Rayla Campbell stole this book because I can't 100% verify that. But let's just say I found out that the copy of Gender Queer she was showing off at this rally because the police officer who wrote his report was helpful enough to put in his report that this was a Brockton Public Library book. Uh, again, being crazy and, you know, following up on too many things. I called the Brockton Public Library and I found out while I was working on this story that, oh, what do you know, the, the book was uh, reported missing. And I actually called them earlier today and it is still missing and I, I was told back when i worked on the story that the book was checked out i don't know by whom it was checked out because libraries won't give out that information so again i'll I'm not... just interject 
No, I just wanted to interject and say that um, the law is, it's a state law that says that patron records for right. books that are checked out and stuff like that is not to be disclosed to the public. Right. So this is a very hard line rule. And, you know, it's not something that anybody, even with a lot of public records requests, is ever going to penetrate. <laughs> right. So I I don't know who checked out the book. So I'm not saying Rayla Campbell is the one who stole the book. All I'm saying is she had the book and it's missing. And uh, what I do know is it was checked out uh, at some point last year. It was due back June 15th, but it was flagged as lost on July 30th. And so it's still missing more than a year later. And uh, I wonder if just, you know, spitballing, maybe Rayla Campbell still has it if the library is trying to locate it. Maybe they want to give her a call. So it's funny because obviously I don't, I wasn't able to get the patron records of the people in Millbury who stole the four books. However, the person who stole the books in all of their big brain activity sent out an email to the library director saying, I took these books out and I'm not bringing them back. So effectively just doing their crimes in public. And the only reason the Millbury Library got the books back from this person was because I was petitioning the Board of Trustees at that point to invoke a very rarely used law <laughs> within the thing that allows a Board of Trustees to levy $500 fines per book for books that are deliberately not brought back to the library. So this person was going to be on the hook for $2,000 worth of fines. Um, in Millbury, a town with no library late fees. <laughs> Jeff, you're bringing down the iron fist of the public library on Seriously. these people, the oppressive public library that's going to charge you $500 for a book. Seriously. So we'll just say, like, I, I bring up this Rayla Campbell stuff, even though it happened last year, just because, like, I think people should know, I guess, that Rayla Campbell never had... A, a real chance of being our secretary of the commonwealth i mean she didn't even know what the job entailed seemingly but people like this you know they, they've gained a, a an actual foothold in other states but people should just be aware in massachusetts like the right-wing people in massachusetts are not any less out there than these other people they just don't have political power so right. Those people are out here in, in our state. They are organizing, maybe not effectively, but they are still showing up to libraries to harass people at Pride Month events and doing this kind of, of stuff. And it's it's disgusting and it goes on in our state. And you should just be aware that it's going on. I don't know that there's a ton of stuff you can do about it, but you know, maybe uh, say, say uh, a few kind words to a local librarian, give them some support for what they're doing, let them know that they are appreciated. I would disagree with you that there's nothing you could do. Okay. Because the most under, I'm gonna say them, I'm gonna take a, take a very wild swing at this here, that in most of your towns, your board of library trustees is an elected position and gets zero information whatsoever gets zero coverage gets zero people sometimes they have to you know look under the proverbial bed cushions to find somebody who will run for those positions what is going to happen if people who don't care about freedom of information and people who don't care about this sort of thing don't run for these offices 
the crazies will. <laughs> and the crazies will win by default. If Rayla Campbell ran for her library trustee position in the town she lives in, he probably would have won. Jeff, don't give her any ideas. Don't I know, right? I know. Um, you know, it was one of those things where I almost, you know, I, I jumped you know, off. You know, the she's board. listening to our podcast, right? I'm sure she is. Yes, absolutely. You know, <laughs> we, we ended up having a write-in candidate in Millbury. Thank goodness she's not one of them, but we didn't know who she was. She came out of nowhere. And now she's a trustee of the library. You know, that could happen a lot. That could happen in your town. Not to, not to put the fear of God in you, but that could happen in your town. It's not, it's not insane to think that a person who does not value what libraries offer could in fact try to run your local library. <laughs> yeah, that's a scary yeah. thought. And you know, Jeff, talking about Rayla Campbell listening to our podcast, I'm getting flashbacks of, uh, I spent, I don't know how I would describe it. Let's just say far too many hours listening to her radio show because she had a radio show, but so Jeff, let's, uh, we were talking at the top of the show. You've got this new yeah. project going. Let's get into that. It's probably, we probably should have gotten into it earlier, but. Yeah, you know, yes. Yeah, you know, please go to my website. No, I'm joking. Yeah, masstransparency.org. Yes. Um, so like I was saying at the top, um, the reporting on this has been lackluster. And that's no fault of any journalist, no fault of anybody in particular. It's just that nobody is really doing the legwork to find out exactly how much of a problem this is locally. The American Library Association, the ALA, um, they have done some surveying. And they have found, I believe they said, 40-something challenges in Massachusetts, which on their site says it's the third highest in the nation behind, nope, sorry, which they say is the fourth highest in the nation behind Florida and Texas, notably. That seemed low to me. It seemed very low to me. The Massachusetts Library Association had done some work. They had a higher number, but they did it through self-reporting through their, what they call their heiress survey that goes out to the libraries every year and is what helps them qualify for state aid. Um, so they have some data there, but the MLA and the school library associations don't want to share that information publicly and don't have to because they're not state agencies in the in that sense. So I got fed up and I decided to go straight to the source. So I started requesting stuff to all the towns. I already had all the records holders from my post-commission work. So it was a lot easier than last time <laughs> to blast out emails asking for any challenges that went to the library, any challenges that went to the schools. And um, if anybody had issued a challenge to, say, your town administrator or your board of selectmen or something like that, just to see what happens, just to see what we get. You know, I learned a lot already, and I'm only, I, I'm only five business days in, so there's still a whole week of stuff left to come in, but I've gotten probably a hundred responses back. And a lot of towns have not experienced this, which is good. That's a good problem to have that I don't have anything to report. <laughs> but um, what is telling is the schools and the libraries that do have challenges that have already shared stuff with me. Unsurprisingly, Massachusetts is running in the same trends as the rest of the nation in terms of where the bulk of these sit. It's your gender queers, it's your LGBTQ content, it's your 
diverse books. Um, a lot of complaints about the general displays that there are too many, too many gay books was one quoted thing. <laughs> you know, complaints about Black History Month, which is something we celebrated without much of a hassle for my entire lifetime, suddenly it's a big problem. I don't know about libraries. that, Jeff. I think some yeah. people have not been happy about it, but... This is true, but not to the point where they're actually complaining to libraries about it, you know? That's that's where I'm coming from on it. But, you know, you also, when it comes to these, find some really um, interesting and funny ones. An interesting one is that one woman has made it her own personal crusade in Western Massachusetts to get a specific American Girl book removed because of its historical inaccuracy regarding the American Indian experience. I love that. I think that's great. I think that, you know, for as against banned books as banning books as I am, books that are inaccurate probably don't have a place in the library. You know, with that said, um, there was a very um, heated exchange about the real Dr. Fauci by somebody who was aligned with RFK Jr. Um, so that you can only imagine where that goes. But an early favorite of mine, the person who really wants the Springfield Library to remove Magic Mike's Last Dance, the third in the story trilogy of the Magic Mike Channing Tatum movies. He considers that pornography. He thought it was just a movie about dancing, folks, <laughs> but it's about so much more. And the best line, the best line, I just got to recite the best line here. He complains about the gyrating, spells gyrating wrong, and then in parentheses, <laughs> And then in parentheses, right afterward, humping. <laughs> so maybe the title of this one should just be parentheses hunting, so, humping, sort of like Taylor's version, but, you know, Mike's so, version. <laughs> so the, the first two Magic Mike movies were fine? Apparently, you know, Magic Mike XXL is pretty you, suggestive, but, you know, Magic Mike's Last Dance, I mean, you know, that was a curveball right there. Do you, you just do thought you... it was going to be... Do you think this guy took like all three movies out of the library, like watched them and then got to the third one and is like, I enjoyed the first two, but this was too much for me. He very clearly did it. He very clearly, you know, he makes it very clear in his challenge that he was looking for a nice movie to watch with his wife about dancing. And, you know, Magic Mike on the cover, you know, he's mostly clothed in it. So... <laughs> well, maybe it would be a nice movie for his wife to watch. Maybe he didn't like it, though. I will know that she didn't make the complaint. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oi. So have you seen many challenges to genderqueer in those? That is probably the most um, significant one. And you can tell they haven't read it. You can tell just from that. That's that's where I come from with the script that I talked about earlier, because they're not coming at this from a I've read this book and I have a problem with it perspective. It is almost the same language across the way. There's one school that um, sent me the sex ed opt out forms that they were getting, um, which that's a whole other topic we can probably talk about at some point in the future. But they actually used a form letter that. If you Google some of the words in it, there's only one one site for these words. And it's from the Massachusetts Family Institute or something like that. And it's like, yeah, it's a form letter. You know, like I got angry when I was getting form letters from my FYI request earlier this year. I can only imagine how these superintendents feel seeing the same opt-out letter come in five times from five different families, you know? Yeah, and the, the Massachusetts Family Institute, for people who aren't familiar, is 
like a far right, like ultra religious hate group that is like against sex ed and against gay people and uh, trans people. In a lot of ways, they make focus on the family sound reasonable. And that's not a compliment. <laughs> yeah. And uh, sp speaking of people not reading the book, and speaking of me spending way too much time listening to Rayla Campbell's radio show, she actually said in one of the episodes last year when she was doing all this campaigning and complaining about genderqueer that she had not read the book. She said, I I'm only slightly paraphrasing, she said something to the effect of, I, I didn't read the whole book, I just like saw a few pages and figured out what was going on. And it was very clear that she had not because like I remember at one point she was talking about it depicting like drug uh, misuse when the only like actual depiction of drugs in the book, the only thing she could have been talking about was the main character had like the main character had been prescribed a painkiller by their doctor to help them get through anxiety and pain during a, uh, I think, gynecological exam basically it was not drug misuse at all the only way you would think that is if you open the book saw a drug and just immediately assumed you know whatever the worst you know that you could assume and you know maybe a good way to sort of bring this around uh you know we were talking about frederick Douglass and the importance of literacy you know that magic mike guy if he's out here out there listening to our podcast Maybe read the back of the, the DVD case before you take the take the thing out. You know, reading is important. Even if you like to watch movies and you're not a big reader, maybe read a little bit, you know? I mean, it does show the danger of starting a trilogy at the third book, too. That, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, you know, just to bring it around a little bit more, there are two things that are happening that are, that, um, are relevant to what we've been talking about today that people might want to look more into. One, a lot of um, boards of trustees have been adopting updated challenge requirements, one of which is some sort of evidence that you've actually read the book you're challenging. This is, <laughs> it's it's funny when you think about it. Give out a quiz. But, it, you know, it, I don't think it's a quiz as much as, you know, not like doing the book report, but it's, you know, to dissuade these sort of like rote sort of, you know, coordinated efforts. But um, more importantly for the statewide efforts is that there is a bill currently in the Senate that has, I believe, as of this podcast recording, seven co-sponsors. We're talking about, just to be clear, we're talking about the state Senate. State right? Senate, yes. Yeah, state Senate. Um, that would essentially ban book bans. Illinois has an identical bill that they passed. And essentially what it does is it adopts the ALA's reading bill of rights as the state standard for book collections in the state. You know, I mean, I have my own issues with the ALA. American Library Association, right? Correct. You know, there might be some concerns with relying so much on a private organization, but it is better than the alternative we have right now, which says, hey, it's up to you guys. Good luck. Oh, and you'll get you some state funding, too, if you fill out the survey, because <laughs> that's what we got right now. So, Jeff, in in the uh, information you've been getting back, have you found any examples of successful book challenges? 
so in terms of the stuff that is the most controversial nationally that people have heard about, no, not yet. So no genderqueer, um, something like that? No, that that stuff in the... Good thing is that a lot of these responses have come in with the responses from the libraries themselves, where they are, you know, librarians know what they're doing. <laughs> they have the, you know, they're bringing out freedom of information. They're bringing out regulations. They're bringing out, you know, all the standards and practices and stuff. They are just blasting them with information because, of course, they are because they're librarians. But, you know, I laughed a little bit about the woman in Western Mass who's been pushing to remove the American Girl doll book from the libraries. She's been very successful at it because she is making an informed, understood complaint about the content of a book that isn't based on I don't like it and more that this book is actively harmful to the communities it's portraying. This is a very different reason to push for the removal of a book. And, you know, part of her entire argument is that if you were buying books now for this community, this book would not be on your list and it would not be recommended. It might have been appropriate. It might have been the best one that was available when you got it, but it isn't now. And there's something to be said about that. Jeff, they're canceling Dr. Seuss. Can you believe it? But I mean, that's a great example of of some of this sort of collection management stuff. You know, the Dr. Seuss books, they weren't removed from their publication slate because they were necessarily bad books. It's because some of the stuff in there was not what we would consider okay today. Yeah, and, let's not you know, maybe not have children reading books with, you know, racist depictions of Chinese people. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I mean, I can, I can get behind that. It, you know, I, you know, there, a lot of people will say, oh, they're not going after, do- going after Cat in a Hat. Well, they might someday and then we'll have that conversation. But for now, you know, they're, the complaints you're seeing for that are for very good reason. And, when you're talking about books like Camp or books like Jay's Gay Agenda, those are not books that are handling a situation in a disrespectful way. It is not handling a situation where it's showing these populations of people and these characters as people who, you know, should be mocked and aren't being treated respectfully. Yeah. And I do think there's a difference between a library with or without, you know, input from the public sort of making an informed decision to get rid of an old book that they maybe don't think is super appropriate. And that's, we should be clear that that you were calling it collection management and it has a name because it's a normal thing that libraries do. That's not the same thing as banning a book. And that's, we we should be clear that, you know, we're not going to complain about that, but what we are concerned about is you know, just again, aggrieved, we'll call them people deciding that you shouldn't be reading this because it's got too much gay stuff in it or, you know, whatever. And and we're going to just make a ruckus until they pull the books. And I will say that the communications I have about that that book in particular, the librarians went through a lot of conversation about whether it was appropriate for them to even remove it to begin with. They put a lot of thought into whether that was what they should be doing or not, because they were that uncomfortable with removing information, even if that information might not be 100% accurate, because they don't know. And they don't always know, and they have to go by the experts who do know. And sometimes that means that, you know, they're not going to not have a book that questions global warming, because, you know, questioning global warming, smart or not, is something that is 
important to the community and people, it's a real touch point in the debate over the environment and climate change and what have you. It's not the same. <laughs> and just because you feel like you're in the majority when it comes to a lot of these issues of these marginalized communities doesn't mean that you get to dictate who gets to see it everywhere else. But you still got you still got a lot of work to do on this project. I do. And I, I do. think we're probably gonna have to do a follow up about it at some point. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, as it stands, I mean, people have been getting it's, it is fascinating how quickly people will respond to a public record request when they want the records to be public. <laughs> yeah. Because this is not me, you know, negotiating terms with police departments. This is librarians who already have all the stuff lined up and are just shooting it right out to me. My inbox is a mess right now, and I just have so many things to sort through. But, uh, you know, I'll probably have a lot of this stuff in the next couple of weeks up on my site. Um, I'll have some more information on it. You can actually track my progress through the site right now. You can go on the spreadsheet. It's on a different tab from the post-commission reports. So you can see where I'm at and... You know, if you want to help clean some data up, let me know. So yeah, um, hop on masstransparency.org. You can see my progress. You can read some of the funny responses I've received. And, um, you know, I am also keeping track just so everybody's aware of what books are being um, challenged. So you can keep going right on the spreadsheet and see all the books in alphabetical order. And, you know, you might find one that you don't expect and you can look it up from there. Yeah, and so. keep keep checking back because Jeff's going to be adding more stuff. And so also you want to check out that bill Jeff mentioned. We'll throw up a link to it. But if you want to look it up yourself, it's HD4443 and SD2679. You can take a look at that, You know, make a decision about whether you think it's a good idea. Maybe contact your state legislator, maybe give them some input. And I think... We're probably about ready to wrap this one up you know just last thing i'll say you know read a book <laughs> you know <laughs> books are fun <laughs> books are books are great you know whether you you know you're uh, like me i read a lot of nonfiction, and then i read comic books because if i'm reading something fictional i love to have that visual component to it you don't have to be like me you can read some novels read some short stories maybe read luke o'neill's book that we talked about in a previous episode he's got a great <laughs> short story book Libraries have movies, so if you want the entire Magic Mike trilogy, you can just request it. It's true. Or you could go to your local library like me and say, hey, can you guys pull out the microfilm from this this month in the 80s and uh, show me where your microfilm machine is? And by the way, I'm crossing my fingers hoping you have one of the new microfilm machines. It's like hooked up to a computer and I'm not using one of the old ones. And, uh, you know, or maybe don't do that because... <laughs> microfilm sucks computers are computers are are great but so are books <laughs> so are books and on that note <laughs> and on that note read a book we're out you've been listening to lights out mass i'm andrew Comer. i write the mass dump newsletter that's andrewqmr.substack.com. That's where you can find this podcast. You can also find us on Apple and Spotify. And I'm Jeff Raymond with the Mass Transparency Project in Bramonville Tribune, masstransparency.org, bramonvilletribune.com, or at Twitter, Jeff and Milbury. Our theme music is Sunbleach by Lifeformed. You can find more music at Bandcamp. 
Sunlight is the best disinfectant. So I went to Catholic school and my, I was reading books well beyond where I needed to be, like from like other classmates. So I went to okay, the smart li- guy. I know, right? So I went to the librarian who was a nun and was like, you know, I'm in first grade or second grade. And I'm like, I need a book that's a chapter book. And she's like, oh, people really like this one. And she hands me, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. I did not know a lot of what was going on in that book. I didn't really understand it. It's not really meant for me. But um, at one point I go to my mother and I go, hey, what's a period? And she just drops a plate on the floor. (laughs) 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 So uh, she had to have a talk with the nun about, you know, Give him the books that are he wants to read, but, you know, kind of use your head a little bit. <laughs> Couldn't she have just said it's the thing you put at the end of a sentence? Yeah, right. 